Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Weigh In Sports Talk. Today is Sunday, July 20th. Before we get started, here are a few reminders. We would love to hear from you, and here are several ways to weigh in. Call us at 646-716-5564, or join us in the chat room by listening online at blogtalkradio.com forward slash Tarvino, or follow us on Twitter at Weigh In Sports. Tonight, we would like to welcome a very special guest, Ray Green, head football coach at Seven Rivers Christian School in Florida. Now, here's your host, Brian Tarvin, and co-host, Trey Patterson. Let's weigh in. Thank you for the introduction and welcome to Weigh In Sports Talk. We are about a month away from our college football kickoff. Five weeks, I think that's what it is, maybe, but I'm I'm counting it down. I'm excited. A lot to, to cover tonight. We're going to continue our college football previews as we actually, actually we tackle two teams out of the Big Ten this year. Both teams have a lot to prove. Both teams, I think, schedule lines up to where possibly they can make a run. That's Wisconsin and Nebraska. We're going we're gonna to skip over to the Big 12 Conference and, and talk about a Baylor Bears team that, that last year made it to the Fiesta Bowl, won the conference, and, and lost to Central Florida. So what is Baylor going to do? How are they going to bounce back? And like Michelle said, uh, one of a dear friend to me, Ray Green, Seven Rivers Christian High School in Florida, He's going to talk about his move from Citrus High School when he visited us last to now Seven Rivers. It's going to be a great show. Hope you can all stay around. I know we have some Nebraska fans in the chat room. We're going to have some, hopefully, some Baylor fans call in as well. Joshua Shaw, big fan of Nebraska, is going to join us tonight. And we have co-host Trey Patterson with us. Trey, I know you missed Wednesday night, but so did we. Uh, Blog Talk Radio crashed on us. Yeah, I kind of heard that. So I uh, heard the tweets on blog talk saying they were having issues. So it's good to know we're back up tonight. Yeah, I'm glad we're back up. Are we five weeks away? Is that what it looks like to you? Five weeks away from football? Five days from the Florida State-Oklahoma game, Oklahoma State game. That's not going to be a game, Trey. Florida State will kill these guys. But, you know, the all-star game, I want to start out talking a little bit of baseball. Ray's going to join us at 9 o'clock tonight, start out talking some all-star baseball. Trey, did you, what did you feel about Derek Jeter uh, in the all-star game this past week? It's going to be hard to say goodbye to him, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it was like, obviously, I mean, the guy is just a really great baseball player, a good ambassador for the game. I mean, you really don't hear anything about him. Uh, in a negative light. Uh, I mean, there's... I mean, you talking about a guy who's played as long as he has to do it as well as he has during the third era to come out completely clean of all that. Never was a guy who bulked up. Just sort of played the game the right way. It's, you know, it's sad when you lose guys like that. It is. And, and one thing about about the All-Star game that, that really didn't sit well with me, Trey, is Tony Gwynn. Uh, Nobody acknowledged him, no tribute, anything for Tony Gwynn, one of the greatest baseball players of my time. I mean, I remember him as a kid, one of the purest hitters in Major League Baseball. Do you think Major League Baseball dropped the ball on this one? Well, I mean, you know, I think I would have liked to have seen it 
I understand baseball's position where, you know, Tony Gwynn wasn't certainly the only legend that we lost this year. Uh, but it is a great time, I think, for baseball to pay tribute to, you know, Hall of Famers, uh, the great game guys in the game that are passed, through, you know, in this past year. I think baseball has really missed out on opportunities to sort of um, highlight their great achievements in the game. Yeah, baseball, to me, is a dying sport. I mean, it's, there's not much interest anymore like there used to be. If you watch the home run derby, Trey, you realize steroids is absent in baseball. And without steroids, uh, I just don't think that the fans are going to buy into baseball and, and spend money to go watch their teams play if they can't see the long ball. I mean, did you notice that during the home run derby? I didn't, I, I didn't watch the home run derby. I probably haven't watched it in a while. Um but, I mean, I don't know about not coming out. Baseball actually has very good numbers, uh, both TV and um, attendance for them. Uh, so baseball is doing okay. I think they should do some stuff to make it better. I think instant replay has been a very good addition. Uh, I don't necessarily need to see the long ball. Uh, I like baseball where it is right now, which is, you know, you got guys uh, who are playing with skill versus guys who are just basically steroiding out. But I liked it better when Barry Bonds was up there with a suit of armor on Trey hitting home runs in the Bay. That's just me, though. I know you don't like Barry Bonds, but that era of baseball was the most exciting for me to see Sosa, McGuire, Bonds just go after this home run record, and it was it was amazing. I missed that. That's one thing about baseball I missed, but the pitching seems like it's doing better because of the steroids being reduced in the game of baseball. But I wanted to pay tribute to Derek Jeter and just, to me, he's my favorite baseball player, one of them of all time, just because of what he stood for, uh, how he played the game. It's just, a, I mean, it's just rare. You don't find these kind of players anymore in baseball. So we're going to say goodbye to Derek Jeter this year. Hopefully we can come up with a good tribute for Derek Jeter. Uh, Trey, NBA real quick, do you think Wiggins is going to end up a Timberwolf, or do you think they're going to be able to get love without him? I think he will get traded. I think it's the wrong move. I'll tell you that right now. I don't think it's a good move. I think that um, that they would would love being a free agent um, this year. You know, after the season, they could really take an opportunity to make a public statement and say, "Look, you know, love is our number one priority in the off season. We will pay anything to get him, but we feel like we can win a lot of championships if Wiggins is still on this team." Uh, I think if you know, with really no bidding war going on because uh, you know you have Golden State not offering Clay Thompson, I think for Cleveland to throw in that chip when they really don't have to, I think they could play a waiting game uh, and and win the bid on him. Uh, I think the right move is to keep Wiggins, who could be uh, a really really phenomenal player for a very long time. So I think you, you trade Bennett, you trade Dion Waiters, you trade a, f- a first pick next year. Uh, but you keep Wiggins and say that's just the way it is. I think throwing him in is a big mistake for uh, Cleveland. I'm, I'm 100% with you, Trey. And I look at I look at Cleveland right now with the roster they have. I think they're a good enough team to contend for the Eastern Championship, no doubt about it. Why do you want to go out, give up your bench, your role players, your future, uh, for some guy that's too lazy to play defense in Minnesota. Maybe the part he doesn't play defense in Minnesota is because they're terrible and he just doesn't want to put forth that energy. But you have to keep Wiggins in this. This is your first round overall first pick. You can't give him away. You can't give waiters away. You can't give next year's first round away because you never know what you're giving up. And to me, Trey, 
Love's just not that great of a player. They're asking way too much. I think Love's a phenomenal player, but I just don't think he's worth Wiggins been your first overall pick last uh-huh. year and a number one next year. I'm not, for, if it was me, I throw in Bennett. And Bennett's played really well in D-League ball this year, or in summer league ball um, this summer. Uh, so maybe he's improving. Uh, I, I throw in him. I, I throw in Dion Waiters. Uh, I think Wiggins takes that role. Uh, and I throw in my first pick next year because if I'm, if I'm Cleveland and I have Love and Wiggins, LeBron and Kyrie Irving, I, I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make the, make the playoffs. I think I'm probably going to be in the championship. I'm not really worried well, Trey, about that. Well, Trey, you said Love's a phenomenal player. Can you really classify him as phenomenal when he doesn't play defense? Yeah, I mean, you have to, you're talking – and I don't buy into him not playing defense. I mean, he's not the best defensively, uh, but he plays defense. And the guy – I mean, defensive rebounds are defense, last I checked. So, I mean, this guy <laughs> uh, puts up double-doubles uh, more than anybody in the NBA right now. And he's averaging over, I think, well, over 20 points this last year. So, I mean, you're talking about a guy who's averaging 20 and 10 um, on a daily. Uh, that's a pretty good. That's a pretty good track record right now. Well, you know, in Minnesota right now, loves the man. How do you think he'll transition coming over to Cleveland, not being the man anymore, and playing, you know, more of a role than than being the man? Because it's not hard to put up 20 and 10 in Minnesota when you're really the only option they have. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that's part of it. I mean, obviously, um, numbers are going to die down a little bit if you're on a team with Kyrie Irvin, uh, Andrew Wiggins, um, you know, guys like that, and obviously LeBron James. Uh, but he's still a guy who's who rounds out your team pretty nicely. I just would not trade Wiggins away. I really do think Wiggins, he may take a couple years, Tarvin, but in three years when LeBron is back to being a free agent and, and Wiggins – uh, is phenomenal. Love is signed away. I mean, there's going to be just a phenomenal core uh, in Cleveland. But if you trade Wiggins away, I really think in a couple of years you're going to be struggling with young talent because, you know, they're signing away a lot of a lot of veterans right now, but there's not much if they trade him away. In, in a, so in how old is Paul talent. Love? Do you know how old Paul Love is? Uh, Kevin Love is um, I mean, Kevin Love, 25, 25. Oh, he's very young, isn't he? Yeah, well, he's, he's not. He, this is his first contract, so. I used to play basketball with a guy named Paul Love. I apologize. <laughs> just that name got in my head. Uh, 25 is a, a pretty good age. I thought he was a little bit older, but you're right. He was born in 88. He is 25 years old. The Trey, I, I'm just not sold on him right now. I mean, what they're trying to give up to get this guy. Wiggins, they haven't signed yet. They're looking to sign his deal. But what do you think about Kevin Love coming out and saying that he did not want to play in Minnesota anymore? Like, that, that just kind of rubs me the wrong way. Well, I mean, I think it's, a lot of guys have done that for their first term. They get pretty obvious that they're not going to sign a contract where they started off at, where they're sending a rookie deal at. Uh, Kevin Love is a guy who wants to go play with people. I don't think he wants to be uh, on a team that's not making the playoffs. And, you know, it's a business uh, for them as much as it is teams. Obviously, for Minnesota fans, they don't like to hear that. But, I mean, you can certainly understand from Love's position where he wants to go and play with a contender. Well, we'll, we'll track this LeBron James, Kevin Love soap opera here. Cleveland's getting a lot of press in the off season, which is good for the NBA. LeBron James went to Cleveland. Hey, there's a lot of hype going on. I'm going to be keeping my eyes 
tuned in to to the NBA trade. I'm sure you will be as well. But let's move over to football just a second. The SEC Media Days trade. Next year when, when we go to SEC Media Days, you better hope you can get a week off work because this is a four-day event. And, and your thoughts on the SEC Media Day being four days compared to the other conferences, which they're two days. What do you think? Well, I mean, length of days, I mean, there's a lot of substance there. I mean, they really spread it out. And there wasn't a lot. I mean, there's further storylines that come out of these things, but there's a whole lot of not, not much going on in these media days. Uh, there was a couple things that not as much as last year. I thought last year there was a lot more stories from my media days. Uh, to be honest, there, was, there were days that went by in the SEC media days. I didn't pay much attention. Um, you know, just not a lot went on. And there was, I mean, a couple of great quotes from, obviously, you know, people like Spurrier and, you know, like to hear what Saban has to say. Um, but I'll tell you, Tarvin, I, I don't think, I think the four days was a little much. Man, it was exhausting, wasn't it? And but, but the reason this year was a little more quiet, you have A.J. McCarron gone, Aaron Murray, Clowney, Manziel, they're all gone, Trey. And, I mean, with those four last year or whenever, just that kind of star power the SEC had, it's it's gone away. So now it's up to these other ones to build more names. Nick Marshall, we saw, did not get to make the trip due to his marijuana citation. But I, I always like the coaches. That's that's what I like to see, Nick Saban talk. And you know how I love to hear him talk. Gus Malzahn did a good job. All of them did. I, I was impressed with all the coaches, really, Trey. But but Nick Saban comes out and talks about discipline and everything. The committee – or the – yeah, the, the president of the committee actually came out and gave his criteria, and I want to talk to you about that in a minute. But how do you think Gus Malzahn handled the whole Nick Marshall situation at Media Day? Well, he didn't say a whole lot. I mean, you know, so, I mean, handled it handled like every other coach does. He didn't say much and didn't give us any answers. Well, I'll tell you the question I liked the most was a guy from Arkansas asked him about finally having a, a quarterback the second year in the system, first time he's ever had that. And all he did was talk about Jeremy Johnson. He never once mentioned Nick Marshall coming back, returning. He said Jeremy Johnson was a – a very good quarterback that would probably start for most teams in the country, and they're looking forward to working with him a second year. But he didn't even mention Nick Marshall. But I'll make a prediction for you all right now. Nick Marshall will not get suspended any time due to the policies at Auburn. Um, he could. It's possible. But I'm going to go ahead and go out on a limb and say he'll be suiting up against Arkansas in week one. But, Trey, did anything come out that surprised you in media days? Any quotes from a coach? Any storyline? Not, not, not so much. I mean, I think the big push that came out of media days was the sort of joining with the NFL to limit the number of guys who can get a look as an underclass when they get a draft grade. I think that's a, that's probably the biggest story, and that came out during media days. Um, just because we saw so many underclassmen who came out this year who you know weren't drafted. I mean, that, so I mean, guys who came out and then didn't make didn't even you know, make the draft at all. Uh, so I think that's a good policy to limit some of these guys who are getting led astray by agents. Um, because, I mean, a lot of guys had third to fifth round uh, grades, but there's not enough players to get, you know, placed in the draft with all the grades they got. So I think that that was good. Uh, I liked that, that coming out. Well, I mean, the, going back to the four days, Trey, it, it, it is a little too much. I mean, you have 14 coaches, though. You have to remember 
14 and some side shows on the side. I think maybe they could get it down to three because that's got to be exhausting for some of these people going out and spending that much time. And next year when I go, Trey, I don't think I'll stay four days. I think I'll stay two. What about you? <laughs> yeah, I think two two is about, about what I'd, I'd be able to take. Well, the the president talked about the, the selection committee and, and still – all these guys do is a bunch of hot air, really. They haven't told anybody anything about what they're going to be selecting, what they're going to be doing, really. But they give you this criteria, Trey. Conference championships, strength of schedule, head-to-head competition, common opponents, and key injuries. I mean, is that enough criteria for you? I'm sure there's more. But out of those top five, which one's the most important to you? Uh, to me, obviously, I think the three big ones are conference champions, uh, you have strength of schedule, which is which is huge, and I think head to head. Obviously, if you beat somebody who is looking at getting in, you should get in over them. Well, they, when you say here, here's what they said, they want to get the four best teams in college football together to play. So, why does conference championships weigh so heavily to you? What if the schedule is real weak for those conferences? Well, I mean, conference championships matter. Um, you know, obviously, I, I think you know, don't make the mistake that one is over the other. I mean, I don't think that's the policy. But a conference champion matters. I mean, I think if if somebody makes it through and wins the conference championship, like say the SEC, um, like you know, let's say Auburn and Alabama last year, Alabama didn't even win the West. Uh, Auburn did, uh, and so if you have to me, uh, that means a lot for seeding. Uh, and it means a lot for even getting in uh, because I'm going to reward uh, a team like Auburn who not only beat Alabama head-to-head, but they, you know, Alabama didn't even win a division in their conference. So I think it has to matter. Yes, I, mean, I can see that. But, but to me, you're still getting to the point, just like I argued with the BCS, you want the four best teams in football. And if, if somebody won the Pac-12 and had one loss, and they were a good team, but they won the Pac-12 and, say, an SEC team like Alabama was one loss and didn't win the West because the team that won was undefeated. How can you say the Pac-12 champion is better than Alabama? How would you prove that? Well, I think you're arguing sort of apples and oranges because the Pac-12 champion last year had two losses, but um, that's on now. No, I'm I'm talking about this year. I'm talking about this year, if it happens. Well, I mean, I think just look at all the criteria. You don't just look at two. I mean, if you limit yourself to two, then that's, you know, you're not really following the policy. Well, the one I like is the key injury. So so just say, Trey, Oregon's undefeated. They win the Pac-12. But during that Pac-12 championship game, Mariota goes out with a season-ending injury. How does that factor into their their choosing? Do you think Oregon gets left out, even being undefeated? No, but it's just like um, it's just like the basketball tournament. It'll be weighted against them. I mean, you see that happen all the time in basketball, where you know the main scorer um, is out of the tournament. You saw it with Kansas this past year with Embiid, uh, and their seeding was affected. Yeah, but I mean, if you have a team that's on the borderline. And you're only you're not talking about sixty six teams, Trey, or whatever it is. You're talking about four. If the best player in the country, one of them, goes out of your team, is Oregon a, a, a top four team in the country, even though they're undefeated without Mariota? 
Well, if they're undefeated, yeah. I mean, they get they get in. A Pac-12, Oregon undefeated nope. gets in. Nope. I don't think so. Not not when you look at it. If you take the best player off a team, that's like the year Auburn went undefeated with Cam Newton. Cam Newton had gotten suspended or was ineligible or gotten hurt, and it was up to to pick two teams. I think Auburn would have gotten left out that year because you the part of them being the best team in the country was him playing all year every year winning all those games. And without him, they wouldn't have been there. So this could come into play, and that's why I struck this one up for you, Trey. I think this could actually come into play this year. So watch the injuries very closely because I I do think a a team that's on the borderline and there's somebody else nipping at their heels that that easily they could get left. But one thing was interesting to me, um, you know, we've got our five major conferences, guys, we we know who they are, but the smaller guys, who's the, June Jones at SMU was talking about, you know, kind of splitting away and actually playing the games in the spring. I don't know what you think about that, Trey, but could you imagine having college football almost year-round if that happened? Well, I mean, I think, <laughs> you know, June Jones is uh... – I mean, I just don't see that happening unless the big conferences were to break out. And then I think then maybe um, then they may have a good argument to do that, too, just because of the TV revenue and that kind of stuff. But unless the big conferences break out, uh, there's there's no way that happens. Yeah. I, I don't think it will happen. But you have to look at it if you play for a smaller school. It's really going to hurt the teams like SMU and – teams that aren't from a, a qualifying conference or the big five. And you know when you go to college, you're not going to have a chance to play for a championship. And, and in reality, it's like that now with the BCS. There's only two teams, and the chances of SMU getting in or teams like that slim to none. But I wouldn't want to play college football if there was no way that I could win a championship. And, and that's what I wish college football would, would kind of fix is, Give everybody a chance. I mean, and I know you, you – I mean, what if SMU goes undefeated, Trey? They're they're 13-0. and 0, They win their conference. I know it's Conference USA, but are you willing to give a team like SMU a look if you're on that committee? Well, I mean, you know, I got to look at the, I got to look at them. I mean, I'm not willing to say two teams that no. I'm, I'm for an SMU team who – I know a little bit about. Uh, I'm going to say I'm going to border on no. Uh, but if they look really great and they play their competition, they blow everybody out by 40, you know, and they play a couple people who matter, you know, a little bit, um, then maybe you start considering it. But there's still going to be a long, long road to even get into consideration in my book. Yeah, I just want to throw this out there because the smaller teams do matter too, and I want the committee to factor these guys in. If if they deserve it, like you said, if, they, if the eye test is there, they're beating people by 40 points, you have to give teams like this a shot if you want this thing to pass and, and be credible. That's what I want to see what the committee does. But the ACC had their media days. Jameis Winston spoke, Trey, and one one thing he said is he's matured a lot over the past year. Are you buying that, or, or is Jameis Winston the same thug that today as he was when he came to Florida State? Well, <laughs> I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll wait and see. Because, I mean, here's the thing. Jameis Winston made a lot of dumb decisions. So until he can prove uh, through his actions uh, by not sort of getting in trouble, um, 
then we'll see because, I mean, that to me is the real um, indicator. You can say all you want. You can talk. And, you know, I love the Macbeth quote, a lot of sound and fury that signify nothing. Uh, that's what a lot of talk is to me, especially when a guy like Jameis Winston or, you know, says, hey, you know, I haven't matured. Okay, okay, that's great. Let's see it. Uh, let's see um, by mid, you know, we got to get through July, which we know what that July means for the teams. Uh, then we got to get through the season, and we'll see after the season's over if Jameis Winston only has you know positive things going on, and all we hear is great things. Then yeah, maybe I'll give him some credit, Tarvin. But for now, uh, I'll I'll wait. Well, tonight Ray Green is going to come on in about five minutes. He'll be on, and Trey, we're going to cut it down from three teams to two tonight on our preview. We're going to do Wisconsin and Nebraska. We're going to save Baylor for Wednesday night when we go with Florida and Baylor. How does that sound to you? Is that okay? Yeah, it sounds better. All right, good. Um, But Florida State, I'm looking at Winston. How's he going to handle the second year after all this happened with the crab legs, winning the Heisman, winning the championship, losing a lot of players? How does he stay focused, and how does he have these players rally around him on his team, you think? Well, I mean, here's the thing with Florida State. they got a lot of talent, uh, but – you know, I've been going back. Uh, maybe I'm missing football more than I'm willing to say. And I've been watching all of Florida State's big games last year. And one of the things that I kept watching, Tarvin, was Jameis Winston sort of throw into some outrageous coverage, a la Johnny Manziel, in a couple of these big games, and watching big Kelvin Benjamin bring it down out of, out of nowhere. Uh, and we're talking about game-changing type of possessions. Um that sort of led to these blowouts, and they're blowing out these good, you know, Clemson, Miami, and these guys. Um, that, he's off the team right now. I mean, he left as a sophomore. Uh, and so there's going to be receiving core issues. I mean, yeah, Rashad Green's back, great possession receiver, uh, really quick, but who's the guy who can go up and grab it? Because Jameis Winston likes to throw it around. So, um, you know, I really think that they, without any of these receivers, uh, if they don't step up, then Florida State's going to have a lot of trouble with a difficult schedule this year. Difficult schedule, Florida State. Yeah, yeah, number one out of conference schedule in the country. Who do they? I know they play Florida, and who else they play? Clemson, Oklahoma State, Notre conference. Dame. Oh, okay, I forgot about that Notre Dame game. But, yeah, but good so, news I mean, for you. Good good news for you. You play in the ACC, so if you beat Clemson, you're gonna win the ACC at least. But you gotta feel good about yeah, I, that. Yeah, Clemson, Miami. Not, I mean, obviously the ACC isn't that great, but um, I mean it's, it's a it's a much better conference, I think, than people realize. I mean, uh, the stat that I like to uh, that I go back to is you know the three major conferences. Tarvin, the SEC was represented in all three, excuse me, three major championships. The SEC had a team in all three. The ACC had a team in two of the three. So, uh, so it's a mm-hmm. conference that's improving a lot, uh, and I think they're they're nipping on the Pac-12. To be honest, in football. It's well when you see Duke do what they did last year, and you, I think a North Carolina team is going to be hungry. They're going to come back. Virginia Tech, I don't know yet, but yeah, I mean they're getting better. I don't, I don't think I'm ready to put them up there with the Pac-12 because of the depth of the Pac-12, but they're close. I would put them at number three. I think they're stronger yeah. than the Big Twelve. Now I don't know, maybe close to the Big Twelve right there, but still, it doesn't matter. Florida State. To me, I know I piss people off when I say this sometimes. I don't think I piss you off, but Florida State is built just like Alabama or LSU or teams like that. They have the talent, 
that these same teams do, Trey. Does that make you mad when I say that? No, I mean, Jimbo Fisher is a, an SEC guy. I mean, if, if it wasn't for Florida State, I think he would have left for an SEC team because, I mean, he's, I mean, he's a traditional SEC style of coach. He's a big Saban disciple. Um, you know, I mean, he built his team like Saban built Alabama. He, he mocks and mimics a lot of what they do. Now, he has his own style, too. Um, but, you know, he, he, he had a blueprint that he pulled off Nick Saban. So is it, is it an insult to say they're built like an SEC team? No, they are. Yeah, and, you know, when, when Auburn lost to Clemson, I wasn't embarrassed that, that we lost to an ACC team. When we lost to Florida State, you know, I, you know I wasn't embarrassed. We talked about that. Florida State had more talent than anybody in the country. And, and they were clicking. But if you lose, to, if we lost to Duke or somebody, yeah, I'd probably hang my head in shame. But Clemson or Florida State, what, 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 what their job is is to elevate everybody else's game. I would like to see Clemson and Florida State uh, in separate divisions. I would love to see a chance for Florida State and Clemson to play in the ACC championship game, Trey. Yeah, and you know, ideally what they did was um... – you know, I guess when Clemson wasn't a thought when they set up the, the coastal, I agree with you. I think I would love Clemson to be on the other side. Um, Miami is going to be interesting this year, uh, but North Carolina, you, you sort of pinpointed them. I think they're going to be the real big surprise team in the ACC, a la Duke last year, um, who almost beat Texas a and in a bowl, which is crazy to think about Duke in that regard. Uh, but, yeah, it's going to be interesting, Carmen. There's a lot of interesting storylines at a lot of, a lot of places this year. Well, this this conference playoff coming up, or the fourteen playoff, it would help Florida State or Clemson if they if they had another. I know you can't count a team twice, but in people's eyes, you can. If Florida State beat a good Clemson team twice, and even though maybe their their conference wasn't as deep, you still beat the second best team twice in your conference, which adds more weight. So, just interested to see college football. We're not too far away. I mean. Five more Saturdays without it, and Trey felt cool this weekend, so I like that. But anything <laughs> in college football before Ray comes on? You want to talk about outside of their preview? No, I'm ready to get to the preview. I will say that um, you know no, we didn't, we didn't touch on it, but I'm very curious. Um, I really am how, how next year when this whole NFL rule takes effect about the five guys from one team under Classman. Uh, I wonder if that's gonna limit the number of guys who leave or if it's going to stay the same and guys go from, you know, private agents and that kind of stuff to get their new draft grade. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if it changes the trend, but uh, I'm ready to get the coach on. Why do, why do you why do you think that happened like that? Why do you think they, they made that number? Why do you think they changed this rule? Well, I, I know that some guys like Saban really, you know, was really into this rule. Um, I think it, the rule came about because of all the guys who are undrafted uh, as underclassmen, and you have, you know they're signing agents and they're losing their eligibility. Uh, and really, you know, I mean, the guys who don't get drafted who actually end up making the NFL is super, super, super tiny. I mean, you're talking about a very, you know, bad percentage to be in. I mean, and the guy for me uh, that I hearken back to as a Florida State fan, and there are a bunch of a bunch of examples, but. Like James Wilder, uh, the big running back out of Florida State, uh, was part of that one-two combo last year. He leaves and doesn't get drafted. Now, he, he of course, signs as an undrafted free agent, but that just means that he gets to go to camp. So, um, you know, guys like that really have harmed themselves by leaving early when they could have stayed for their senior year 
uh, really developed a little bit more. So I'd like to see that. I think college football fans would like to see their players stick around a little longer too. Great answer, Trey. Great answer. I do think a lot of a lot of players leave too early sometimes without getting the the right information. One more year could be the difference between being undrafted and at least a top first or second round pick. So we'll see how this rule changes it. And right now we're going to bring on one of my good friends, Ray Green, Seven Rivers Christian High School coach in Florida. And I just want to welcome you back to the show, Ray. How's everything going? Hey, I appreciate it. I appreciate it, Brian. Everything's going great, man. Appreciate you guys having me on. Well, I know it's been probably two years since we've had you on. And, and when you were on last time, you came in. You were at Citrus High School in Florida. You made a move in December to go back, really, to your first love in Florida. Tell us about that. Well, um, uh, I got my coaching start as a head coach at a real small school up in Nashville um, before we moved to Florida. And, and, and like most young coaches, I was I was kind of trying to make a name for myself and <clears throat> kind of work my way up the ladder to climb to a, a higher classification and bigger and better things and uh um but when we first made the move here in 2009 i actually just kind of uh, made a pretty lateral move uh in coaching i came to another private school that was about the same size that uh where i was and in fact it was also another startup program from scratch it was a second time uh a second time in a row where i was we were taking a program uh, or, or building a program uh from nothing um the school didn't have football so I was there a year and kind of got disappointed with um, uh, the numbers that we had at the time, and really just did, really was kind of impatient with uh, with, uh, with 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 the whole process of where we were. And uh, the, a local uh, public school in our county uh, came open, and it came open at a time in a year when I felt like uh, the competition for the job might not be as strong because it came open in June, and most of the time in high school football coaches are looking to move in. Uh, December, January, uh, so I took a gamble and, and sent my stuff and uh, ended up getting a job, and I uh, was at Citrus for four years at a public school, had a lot of success there, and uh, best, uh, best you know, our kids and our coaches and, and, and staff that we had had the best uh, run in, in about 30 years there at that school, and I was getting ready to make another move, you know, into a, a better school. I had a couple of good uh you know, good offers from some schools and and um, Seven Rivers, which is where we went, where we still attended church. They uh, they wanted to talk to us and and uh, we did uh, sat down with them and uh, and and ended up going back uh, for a bunch of reasons. But uh, it was certainly a a move I was not and you know my family. I say we. I'm talking about my wife and I. Uh, we you know didn't see that coming, but that's uh, what we felt like we needed to do and. And uh, certainly glad we did. Well, Coach, uh, you know, looking at your style of coaching, that I, you know, we've talked a lot about it. It's it's just smash mouth football. You really work these kids uh, very hard in the off season. So now being in a one A school that's smaller, how are you? How are you going about spring practice and the summer workouts and everything? And how are you going to do in the fall? Because if a couple of people get injured, uh, you you could be in deep trouble. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's uh you really kind of have to sit down and uh, and uh, and try and figure out, you know, is are the things that you want to do in the way that you want to run your program, you know, uh, is it worth the risk? Uh 
in terms of injuries. But I don't know any other way to coach. And I'll tell you, when we were at Citrus and we had, you know, 75, 80 kids out every year, and that was after we usually would start with 120 would come out, and, and we would we would trim it down to to you know between 70 and 8 or 80 kids, and and um, you know it wouldn't be anything to have. Uh, you know, last spring we saw Florida at our practice. We saw South Carolina at our practices. I mean, to go from uh, that level back down to to one A when you're really just you have a small group of kids, and like you said, they're they're going both ways. It's it's um you know it's a challenge, but but uh you know you think about the the, the teams of old. I mean, in the old days, man. Uh, and you, if you talk to guys that played, you know, in the in the in the forties, fifties, sixties, and seventies, and a lot of places even still today, but it was really um, uh, uh, prominent, you know, back in the olden days of football. You know, most squads only had fifteen or twenty kids, and uh, everybody played both ways, and uh, it was just norm. I mean, you try to tell an old guy. I was talking to some guy last night. In fact, he's a sixty-year-old gentleman. I was talking with about football and. And I said, yeah, all of our kids play both ways. And he started laughing. He said, man, when I played football, everybody played both ways. Uh, so uh, it's kind of those things. You know, it's kind of like, you know, uh, it, it, it wasn't until recently where that kind of became, you know, a big deal. Uh, you know, it's what our kids do. Uh, we, we, we do condition them very, very um, hard. Um, our kids do it a tremendous amount of, uh, of running, uh, circuit training, uh, you know, we want them, in this, particularly during the summer, we want to be out in the heat in the hottest part of the day and, and getting accustomed to it. And, you know, it, it's uh, it's just what we have to do to be able to compete. And on top of that, we're a no-huddle, you know, we're an up-tempo type team. So our, our 11 kids that are playing offense and defense are also, when we're on offense, it's not like we're slowing down a whole lot and huddling and, and, and all that. We're, we're, we're going pretty quick. So they have to be in great shape. And I'll tell you something else. You, you have to make a commitment to coaching, you know, to coaching the mediocre kid. You know what I mean, the average kid, because you're in a situation where you've got to take the kids that you have because you don't have many. And, you, you know, I've always thought that the best high school coaches were the guys coaching at small private schools and winning because you're coaching, you're having to coach each kid. You're not just managing talent like you are at a lot of places. Um, you're coaching, and you better be able to make a commitment to those average kids to make them good at something, or you're not going to be successful. Well, Coach, your, your team, the team you, inher- you inherited, uh, was winless in the regular season last year. When you came in, what did you do to get them to buy into what you're doing? I do know that you won the spring game. How huge was that? Mm-hmm. Well, it was big, man, and uh, – uh, you know, I got a I got a bunch of kids that aren't very good, but they don't know it. Uh, you know, we've convinced them that they're good football players, and uh, and uh, they think they are. They act like they are, and it's uh, it's interesting. When we one of the first things you have to do at at our level, at the high school level, when you take over a program, is you you've got to come in and you've got to immediately uh, get the kids in the weight room, get them believing in the weight room, um, because that's where you're going to build your program. Uh, so we came in in December. Luckily, I was able. I got released from my contract from Citrus in December, and I was able to come over after Christmas and and get those kids lifting weights a few months before spring practice began. Um, I, we spent a lot of time just building relationships with the kids on a personal level, you know. But we brought them in one by one, and 
and uh, we talked to him about, you know, what do you want out of this season? What do you, you know, why, you know, a big question for us is why do you play football? You know, why do you play football? Um, that's a big question. We brought him in, and we identified some some short-term goals and some long-term goals, and uh, uh, spent a lot of time just um, instilling confidence every way, in every which way that we could because that self-belief is really big for these kids. I mean, you talk about the spring game, you know, winning the spring game, it was a big deal because these kids, they were 0-9 last year. I think they were 1-9 the year before. Uh, we went. They went through a six-game stretch last year when they were they were they didn't score a point six consecutive games, and we uh, we won 59 to 13 in the spring game. And it was funny. I was um, talking to the team. I had my back turned to the field, and after the game, and all of a sudden, I felt this rush of cold ice and water run over my head, and I realized I'd been I'd gotten a Gatorade bath, and uh, it was a little embarrassing. But then I just had to stand there and realize that that's where the program is right now. Those kids were so excited uh, to win the game, and it was big. You know, I, I was really praying up to the game. We had three weeks with the kids on the field to get them ready. Uh, I wanted to be able to say, you know, this is what three weeks of hard work gets you. And and I, I don't think I'd have, I would well, I know I wouldn't have been able to say that had we lost the game. Um, uh, so it was big to be able to say that. You know, we hang our hat on on hard work and we hang our hat on the little picture. We talk to our kids all the time about big picture. Every single football team in America talks about the big picture and we're going to win our conference or we're going to be a national champion or we're going to be a state champion. But the more important question is what am I doing about it today? You know, because we always tell our kids the big picture is the what, but the little picture is the how. And the how is so much more important than the what. You know, if you want to be, if you want a college scholarship, you know, one of the first things a recruiter is going to ask you, and ask me as a head coach, is number one, what kind of grades does he make, and number two, what kind of character does he have? They don't want to know his forty time or his power clean or his bench. Those are the number. Those are one and two. What what are his what are his grades and what is his character like? So you know, if you want to, you know, be on the honor roll, well, what are you doing to make that happen this week? You know, on this Friday's exam. You know, the little picture we hammer that home with our kids. Uh, a lot that you know the devil's in the details everybody does the big things every every coach in america comes out in the spring with a big hat on and a whistle and there's going to be some yelling and there's going to be some drills and there's going to be some tackling everybody does those things you know what i'm saying it's kind of like showing up to math class with a pencil and expecting to get an a just because you're just because you're there and and we talk to our kids all the time i, I you know everything i do with the kids i've stolen from somebody Begged, barred, and stolen. It's always the the little things that matter. The the biggest enemy of great is good. There's a lot of good out there, and there's a lot of average out there. There's not a lot of great out there. Uh, those that's really what we do. To we we hammer those messages. They're simple messages uh, uh, to our kids, and uh, and luckily they're buying into it. Uh, you know, they're seeing that. That it does, you know. It, it's uh, we showed them a video. I saw it on YouTube. You should check it out. It's called the Extra Degree. Have you ever seen it? No. Oh uh, well, it, it, it's a video on YouTube, and it's uh, it talks about how water boils at 212 degrees, but it doesn't do anything at 211. It's just hot. But that one more degree produces enough power to steam a locomotive. Just the extra degree, just one degree. Uh, so it's that extra little bit it's extra focus it's that extra sprint 
It's the extra yard. I mean, it's the little picture, and, and these kids have bought into it. Our coaching staff believes in it. And, um, you know, it's something that we we really emphasize and preach. And um, and back to your, you know, part of your question about being physical, we have to be physical in practice. I mean, a lot of the times I'm just standing over there with my fingers crossed uh, because we do get after it. Um, you know, we do quite a bit of hitting uh, during the season, especially on Monday and Tuesday. And uh, you're just praying nobody gets hurt. Uh, but the only, you know, you can't expect kids to do something on Friday night that you haven't done all week. It, you know, it, it ain't Hollywood. You don't get up there and give some great speech and the kids come out fired up and they're physical laying kids out. But you better have done it Monday through Thursday. You, you know, I learned a long time ago to not expect my kids to do something on Friday night that I haven't had them doing all week. Um, so we are physical, and, and yes, we have a small squad, and yes, I'm always afraid of getting somebody hurt, but, you know, the only way to play physical is to practice physical. Well, well, co- well Coach, you said something that just got my attention. You know, when, when I follow teams like just, say, Alabama, Auburn, and, and I read they're having bad weeks of practice, it usually, mm-hmm. on Saturday, they usually do bad. But when you when you hear coaches really – you know, harp on how good they did in practice. They actually come out and execute and perform well. So I'm, I'm glad you said that because that just hit home with me. That's a that's a true statement. And another thing I want to talk about is the grades you said. It surprises me a little bit that these guys come out and want to know the grades and character. A lot of people think that they just care about your talent and they'll just bring you on mm-hmm. regardless. So that, that's a good point. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's you know, it's uh, – if you care about your kids, and I'm talking about your players, uh, when they come in their freshman year, you got to have you got to, especially the ones that do have some talent, because you can you can already kind of identify the ones that do have a shot at playing at the next level, and you got to set those kids down and let them know how real uh, it, you know, just how important their grades are starting right now. Um, you know, it, it, it's it's the saddest thing in the world when I've taken over programs and I, I'll have a junior and a senior class and the coach before us or the coaching staff before us didn't hold their feet to the fire, and you got kids that should have, that should be playing on Saturdays and they and they're not because they weren't held accountable. And um, you know, these schools are coming out and they're wanting to invest, you know, tens if not sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars in these kids. Uh, they want to know what they're getting, and. Um, and I can tell you right now, the majority of the, I mean, the recruiters, and I've talked to a bunch of them over the years, they they will ask a lot of character-type questions. They want to know what the kid's family life's like, what his work ethic's like, um, has he been in trouble. Um, you know, those spots are, um, are, uh, are uh, you know, they're, they're highly coveted. And that's, that leads me to another thing we tell our kids all the time is that someone's trying to steal your spot and, that's just true for life. I mean, everything is a competition. Every job interview you go into, everything you do, you're competing for. And, you know, if you're not willing to be up at 5 o'clock in the morning, you know, running wind sprints, lifting weights, somebody out there is. And they're going to get your spot. You know, these, you know, colleges are going to offer about 25 a year, roughly, 20 to 25 a year. Well, how many guys are gunning for those 25 spots? I mean, um, you know, it's it's a big deal, and um, we have a lot of accountability-type procedures in place that we do with our kids that you know, we do our very best to, 
make them see the importance of that, but also to hold them accountable each and every week to doing the best that they can do so that they can have those opportunities uh, when they're juniors and seniors to be recruited. Well, well, Coach, I have one last question for you. And, again, this is Ray Green. Um, Thanks for taking the time with us. The last question for you, so think hard. What are your expectations this season, and and not necessarily wins and losses? What are your expectations coming back first season? Well, um, not necessarily. Well, I'll tell you. You know, we we do a lot with them in the we did a lot with them in the spring to to uh, to to, um, to really kind of bring these guys together and 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 become a family and and a lot of talk about expectations, a lot of talk about accountability. Uh, I, these kids are already tight I mean, coming out of spring, and we we were at camp last week for uh, three days up in uh, right around Jacksonville at Camp Blanding. Now, these kids are really tight. Uh, they feel like they're a family. They understand, uh, um, you know, kind of what we're looking for uh, uh, in that regard. Um, you know, our our goals that, that are our tangible goals that we put out there this year. We want a, re- a winning record, and we want to qualify for the playoffs. And those are the two things we're we're gunning for, and uh, and and those are the two things that I expect us to do. Um, if we stay healthy, uh, we'll uh, we'll certainly be a factor, I think, uh, in our division. Uh, but you know, continue to come together, uh, continue to you know get strong in the weight room, and uh, and uh, continue to be tight. And um, you know, I think the rest will take care of itself. Well, coach, I'm going to take you up on that offer to join you on the sidelines one Friday night this <laughs> season. Yeah, man. Yeah, anytime, anytime. Well, all right, Ray Green, thank you, sir, for coming on the show. We wish you the best of luck, and definitely we need an interview during the season this year if you can make the time. I know you'll be busy, but just interested to see how you're doing and how your team's going to do. All right, buddy, I appreciate it. All right, take care. See you, man. All right, see you, buddy. That was Ray Green, Seven Rivers, Christian High School football coach in Florida. Thank him again. Trey, what would you think? Uh, he, you know, he was really good last time. I'd love to hear him. You know, he answered the questions I had before I could even get on the air. So I just stood back and listened. Always good to hear and that that sort of uh, you know low level uh, perspective on these kids uh, because it's the high school coaches who make these guys we watch in college and in NFL. And they're made on the gridiron early on. Yeah, and I mean, I'm, I just get fired up when I talk to. Co- I mean, I, I don't talk to college coaches much, but the high school coaches that I get to talk to, man, they, they get me fired up about football. And, you know, I hope when I have kids, they play football. If I let them play football, that they have a coach like Ray that, that holds these kids accountable and works them hard. And I'm telling you, Trey, when, when I tell you how hard he works these kids, I'm, he's, he's not joking and I'm not. And it's just smash mouth football, running the football. It's kind of like, you know, he spreads it out, hurry up tempo like Auburn does in a way. But, uh, it's a very physical challenge, Trey, when you're a 1A school and you're playing both ways. What if two people get injured during practice? That's a big risk. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, those small schools don't have a lot of people to fill those spots. So, um, you know, it's not like huge tryouts. We had a small school where I was from, and they were trying to, you know, offer scholarships to kids in the bigger schools just to come play a private ball. So, uh, they're pretty uh, – it's a the tougher coaching game for sure, and I agree with him 100% on that one. Well, I'm going to make a prediction on the show. Uh, 
this team's going to have a winning record this year, but they're going to be undefeated in the next three years. Well, I'll, I'll go ahead and I've, I've seen his track record year in and year out, what he's done at small schools, what he's done at big schools. And the bottom line, he's teaching the same philosophy. So I'm, I'm excited to see what he does. And I think we have Cuervo with us. Cuervo, good evening. How are you? Cuervo, you're on air, buddy. Hey, Tarvin, what's going on? How are you? I'm doing good. How are you? Uh, not too bad, not too bad. I'm uh, just enjoying my Sunday evening, and uh, I was like, yeah, I was a little upset that you weren't on Wednesday. I know Blog Talk Radio was giving you problems, but I, you know, I'd want to dedicate some time to come on your show. It's been a while, so, um, so here I am. Well, thanks for joining us. We're about to start our preview, and and we're gonna go fast. We're gonna talk about Wisconsin and Nebraska. Josh Shaw is in the chat room as well. A few guests. Uh, he's a big Nebraska fan, but just for that, we're going to start off with Wisconsin guys. So Trey, the Wisconsin Badgers. We we talked a little bit about them last Sunday night when we previewed LSU. Are you ready to change your prediction from picking Wisconsin over LSU August thirtieth? No, I mean I still think LSU has a really good shot to win that ball game, but I still like Wisconsin's position and the guys they have coming back. Um, so I still am going to stick with Wisconsin. Uh, you going to backtrack on this fight? Well, I am a little bit. Not, I'm not ready to right now, but I'm close to flipping. But I look at Wisconsin's defense, Trey. They lost a lot on the front seven, like I said the other night. Um, they do have a good offense, I think. They play smash-mouth football. But the first game against a very talented LSU team with a lot of questions, um, I guess when we talk about Wisconsin, what worries you the most about this team? I think the defensive front, for sure, is what worries the most against LSU. Yeah, I mean, you know, most people have been projected to win eight to ten games. That, that That's where Wisconsin is. So, Trey, let's let's look at the schedule, and, and let's go through and we can preview them while we do this. The first one against LSU, Wisconsin winning this game as well as I do. Cuervo, do you want to – you want a not so fast one of us here? Yeah, I'm not so fast, you guys. Um, I just think you know, despite LSU losing the talent that they that they have, they're still they can still play well in in neutral uh, sites. You know, this is the one one of the very 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 few teams that uh, you know, no matter where they go, they can play and they can compete. So. Um, and I honestly, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, maybe I'm missing a game, maybe there's a game I'm just not thinking of, but I've never seen that from a Wisconsin football team where they can go to a neutral site and uh, win a game. Yeah, well, he's going to pick LSU, we're going to pick Wisconsin, but Trey, how do you feel about skipping the whole month of September for Wisconsin? How does that sound? (laughs) Well, Western Illinois, I didn't even know how to team. Uh, Bowling Green, feisty, but they're going to lose. And then, of course, we get to the USF Bulls, who kind of got – they've been recruiting very well in Florida, but I don't think this is their year to win in Madison. So, let's go. Yeah, October starts off with one of Cuervo's favorite college football teams, straight at Northwestern. I just don't think Northwestern is going to have enough to stop the ground and pound. It's usually not a good matchup when these two teams play – I'm going to take Wisconsin, Trey. Yeah, I just 
last year I bought into Northwestern a little bit, and uh, we saw how that fell off. Uh, I'm not going to buy into them this year. I think that uh, <laughs> last year was their best team they've had in a while, and it's not going to happen this year. Cuervo, are you going with Northwestern or Wisconsin in this one? Yeah, I'm going to go with Wisconsin. I just, you know, Northwestern really hasn't shown me anything. You know, they're, they're, every time they play in a big game, they always fold. So this is another big game, and yeah, I think I think I think the Badgers will take it. That takes us through. I'm, I'm going to say Illinois and Maryland and Wisconsin are going to be wins for Wisconsin. November Trey. At Rutgers, November 1st, any danger there? I think there's a lot of danger at Rutgers at this point in the season because if they beat LSU and they run through this, I mean, you're talking about a team that could be in the top five uh, early on. That's not a position Wisconsin is used to being. So uh, I'm going to say this is a trap game, Tarvin, and Rutgers upset them. I'm with you, Trey. I like Rutgers in this game, uh, given Wisconsin their first loss. There's Cuervo, there's a lot of pressure that comes with being, like Trey said, a top-five team. Uh, what do you think? Oh, yeah, definitely. And so, and you're talking about Wisconsin's a top-five team uh, preseason? Yeah. Or? No, no. At, at this point in November, going into November 1st undefeated, they're probably going to be close. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's always pressure, especially when you know when you're you still have half your schedule to go. I mean, you just never know. I mean, and you still got they they still got Purdue. They got to play, which I mean, I don't care what anybody says. Yeah, they might they might not be very good on paper, but you you don't uh, you don't prepare that one week, and all of a sudden you're in a dogfight. So. Um, there is going to be pressure, you know, on, on Wisconsin if they are top five, definitely. Well, Trey, any any chance of Purdue, uh, this game being on the road at Purdue, any chance Purdue can pull an upset? Yeah, I, mean, I, I think this is one of those those times Wisconsin's not going to run through the table. And these on-the-road games, with having all the home games, I, I think are traps. But I think Purdue, they're going to get past them. They don't have the – they don't have it in them. But the next week, Tarvin – is it possible that Nebraska gets them? Mm, it's possible. Nebraska's a, a very strong team. And the funny thing is we're previewing them right after this, probably a little more deeper than Wisconsin. Uh, this is a tough place to win. You, you play in Madison. Trey, I'm going to go ahead and go with Wisconsin in this one. I, I think being at home this late in the season, the front seven's gotten a little better, uh, more comfortable in the offense as well. I like Wisconsin to beat Nebraska. I, mean, I think there's nothing really wrong with that, that evaluation, but you know, I'm looking at Nebraska, and they were routine if you look at how they played last year. I mean, they lost to UCLA at home, um, but when they went on the road, I mean, they, they did okay. I mean, they won at Beaver Stadium last year. Um, they won at Ann Arbor last year. So, I mean, they've kind of proven themselves to be able to win on the road in the Big Ten. I think it's possible. I think they're going to be very close, but I'm going to pick Wisconsin. All right, what about you, Cuervo? Yeah, I just want to see if anybody was going to bite on that. Uh, Badgers will win. Yeah, at Iowa and Minnesota, the end of the season, uh, looks like all of us have them going 11-1 and one right now, it looks like. So 11-1, and one, is that going to be enough, Trey, to make it to the Final Four? 
No. I think they could lose in the Big Ten Championship, and I still think the LSU game is a toss-up as well. So um, I, I think I have them outturned. Yeah, you look at the schedule, and it's it's just very weak. If you, you see LSU and Nebraska really in a trap game at Rutgers, but other than that, it's a very soft schedule that a one-loss team will not get credit, but a, an undefeated team may not even get the credit it deserves. I guess, with this schedule. A committee could look at this schedule and just kick them out automatically, but we'll see. Um, no surprise here, Wisconsin with a schedule, 11-1, and 10-2 type season, I think, but they'll be probably in the Capital One Bowl somewhere playing. Well, that takes us to the Nebraska Cornhuskers. This team's a little more complicated. They, they have a little tough, more, I guess, tougher road, Trey. What do you think? Well, at the start of the season, they don't. I mean, the first – First two games, I think we can say are wins. But going on the road to a Fresno State program is actually tougher than it may appear to some folks. Fresno State has historically been a really spicy team, especially at home against big schools. So, Tarvin, I'm not going to pull the trigger. I think Nebraska pulls it out. But I think this is going to be a closer game than they would like. Yeah, I think Nebraska goes out and, and just actually out physicals Fresno. They lost their quarterback. So I just think Nebraska better be on upset alert here, but I think they'll be okay, Cuervo. Yeah, I think so too, Tarvin. And, and, you know, just like you said, I mean, Fresno loses their quarterback. So I think, uh, you know, I think they'll be fine going uh, on the road to Fresno. Um, You know, but honestly, I think – Believe it or not, the next week against Miami at home is, pop, is my, a game that they might want to watch out for. Yeah, trade Miami at home. I, I think Nebraska, honestly, will take care of them because that game's a Lincoln. I don't think Miami's that good of a road team. Yeah, I mean, obviously a lot of good rationale there, Tarvin, but not so fast, buddy. I think here's the thing. Nebraska lost around this time at home last year to UCLA, uh, and UCLA is a much better team than Miami is. But I think they're susceptible at this, this point of the year at home. I think Miami is an up-and-coming team. I think Miami gets them on the road. After Fresno State scare, Miami gets them for a one-loss. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's a lot. I think, guys, we have uh, Nebraska fan Joshua Shaw with us. How are you doing, Josh? Oh, I'm great. Uh, you know, I am really scared about the Fresno State game. Late late night, September, hot, California heat. Uh and I do I do think Miami has a a shot at beating us in Lincoln, but it's not it's not a fork on conclusion. I still think Miami has a lot to prove. Uh they they may be starting a freshman quarterback on the road in Lincoln, which is definitely not an easy environment. And I'm not sold on their defense. I do think that they have a legitimate shot at a win. But I like my Huskers close there. All right. Well, let's move over to Illinois and go to October 4th, Josh, at Michigan State. That's the, that's the game I circle that I think is going to be one of the toughest ones on this Cornhusker schedule. So tell us a little bit about that game. Yeah, um, Michigan State, as we know, a lot of momentum coming off that huge Rose Bowl win over Stanford. And they do lose, uh, I believe, seven starters from their defense. 
which will be pretty difficult to, for them. But uh, the one thing Nebraska has going for them is even though they lost last year to the Spartans, they, they're a team that always gives them uh, troubles with their offense. Uh, Michigan State's defensive coordinator has came out as far as saying is this, if he ever got a head coaching job, the guy he would hire is Nebraska's offensive coordinator, Tim Beck, because that he doesn't want to face that offense. Okay. Well, Trey, looking at Michigan State, your alma mater, what do you think here? Well, I think Connor Cook is going to be very developed this year. I think that uh, this game being at home, Nebraska's defense um, still not being all that great. I can't recall the last time Nebraska didn't lose three or four games in the regular season. Uh, so this is going to be a loss in my book. This is loss number two for Nebraska. Yeah, I have Michigan. This one, Quare, who are you going with in this one? Yeah, I'm going with Sparty as well. On the road, um, night game. So it, it, doesn't, it doesn't sound good for Nebraska. How do, how do you know it's a night game? They've, they've announced it already. Oh, have they? I see, okay. I see it on the yeah, 7 p.m. Central. Yeah, 7 p.m. Central. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't think that out that way yet. I apologize. Well, we won't even talk about Northwestern unless y'all want to. Northwestern, the only tricky thing about this, Josh, is on the road, and any game on the road is dangerous. Well, uh, Northwestern is always dangerous, and if you look at the three years Nebraska's been in the Big Ten, it's been a close game. I expect another close game. It won't surprise me at all. Uh, Trey, who are you going with? Are you picking the upset in this one? No, I, I just think Nebraska um, is going to be too good. Northwestern, um, I mean, I think Nebraska has, you know, one of the maybe top five running backs in the country uh, came back this year. They're going to have a great rushing attack. Northwestern, I just don't see them stopping them at all. Um, so, I'll be on. I have Nebraska winning the next three, so – yeah, I don't think anybody on this panel would, would disagree with all that. So let's move on to November 15th at Wisconsin, Joshua. This is the money game right here if you're in North Carolina. It, it, it is the money game, but this is the kind of game that Bo Pelini normally has his meltdown, and it's hard to accept it as a Nebraska fan, but uh, especially in Madison, uh I think that it'll be closer than the debacle in 2011 there, but I don't expect a victory. Wisconsin is very strong at home, and they've got a strong team. And I think their defense will be a lot better than uh, what people are saying. They they may start the season young, but I, they'll they'll probably be developed enough by the time Nebraska rolls in. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Uh, with everything you said right there. Trey, I'm going to go ahead and pick Wisconsin in this game. What about you? That you already just did a minute ago. Yeah, I'm not going to – I'm not going to not so fast myself that quickly. Maybe later on in the season I'll do that to myself, but not now. Uh, Cuervo, who do you have in Wisconsin-Nebraska? Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with uh, Wisconsin on this one, guys. It's uh home game, so I, I, I always – when I'm not sure – I always go with the home team because home field advantage is so big in college football. So I think Wisconsin it'll be close. But uh I think I think I think Wisconsin will get it done. 
Well, we'll go ahead and give them wins against Minnesota and Iowa. I don't think anybody's going to disagree with that, Joshua. So 11-1, and 10-2 type season for Nebraska. As a Cornhusker fan, are you disappointed? Well, I think 10-2 uh, and two would be very respectful. Uh, I'd, I'd certainly have a lot more respect for Pelini. I think we'd need to go 11-1 and one to win the division. Uh, we might be able to pull off losing to Michigan State. But uh, we definitely would have to beat Wisconsin to win the division, which will be very tough. Uh, and I think Miami's one of those games where you can go either way. But I think uh, I think it'll come down to that Wisconsin-Nebraska game. I mean, a lot of people like Iowa, and rightfully so. But uh, they, uh, Iowa loses their three senior linebackers from a year ago, so I. I don't think they'll be near as strong defensively as they were. So ultimately, I think the showdown in Madison will decide who wins the Big Ten West division. Well, tell me about the quarterback, Tommy Armstrong. What do you think about him? Well, uh, Tommy's young, but he got some experience last year. Uh, it was important for him to to see see some action. Uh, he... he he struggled turning the ball over a little bit, but he, he cleaned up his game a lot towards the end, and he had a solid game against Georgia. Not a not a world-beater game, but he definitely uh, took care of the ball, and they won that game because of it. And uh, Amir Abdullah, their running back, uh, if you don't know him already, uh, uh, he was uh, only a three-star recruit, believe it or not, out of high school, and He's working on maybe getting his third consecutive 1,000-yard season, which is impressive, uh, not mit- considering the the amount of uh, Husker eyebacks that have came through over the years. Well, let's talk about both Lee just for a second before we go, Joshua. He's, he's won nine games, I think, his past six seasons at Nebraska. What's the number he has to get to in order to keep his job? Because I think Fellini's on the hot seat. Well, I I think his uh, the athletic direct, director coming out this past uh, off season, I believe it was in February after signing day, uh, showed his support for Pelini. Uh, but uh, I think if if we make the conference title game this year, I'm I'm confident he keeps his job. I, I don't I don't really see. Unless it was like a major collapse, maybe seven and five or something like that, I don't really see him getting getting the boot. Yeah. Well, Joshua, thanks for joining us tonight, buddy. We'll look forward to seeing the Nebraska Cornhuskers play and having you on the show. Trey, Nebraska, what do you think Pelini is going to have to do in order to keep his job here? I'm saying at least ten wins, at least. Well, I mean, I think Josh is right. Um, Nebraska seems very intense with Pelini for some reason. The rest of us, I think, see what should be going on there. But I'll tell you, uh, not to, to go back to the Iowa game, but I think Iowa could be a loss uh, for Nebraska there. I mean, I'm not going to pull the trigger now. Um, but I got Nebraska <laughs> maybe four uh, this season. I just don't see a better season for them, uh, even with the schedule. Uh, I think three to four losses is where they're going to be. It's where Pelini has been almost every – or has been every single year. Um, so I see no reason to change it this year. Uh, yeah. yeah, I just – I think that 
that he's gone after this season. I think there's something else going on in Nebraska because of him. I think he must have some big dirt on the AD or something. He knows where the skeletons are buried or something, but there's something going on. I would have fired him years ago. But Nebraska is going to get back eventually to that football that they used to play where they would just dominate people. And it's going to happen before long. They're going to get back up there. They're going to have their run again. So looking forward to see the Cornhuskers. I know your wife's a big Cornhusker fan as well. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, I, you know, it's one of those things that we've talked about going back to some games for her and that kind of stuff. So I look forward to the day when Nebraska is playing better football. But I just I don't buy into Bo Pelini. I don't buy into anything that he does. Um, until they make a change, I have a tough time picking them with 10 wins. Well, Trey, did you get to watch the SP Awards this past week? i got to tell you, man, there's not much less that I care about than the SP Awards. Uh, I just want to hear your thoughts on Michael Sam winning the, the Courage Awards, the Arthur Ashe Courage Awards. I, I, I honestly, I may have saw some tweets about it, um, but there's not, I mean, I don't really, I don't pay attention to anything on the SPs. I mean, I really don't. Wow. Cuervo, what did you think about Michael Sam winning the Courage Awards? Tyron, you already know my opinion. We talked about this, but um, I think there was there were some guys that a little more, uh, dare I say the word deserving of the award, but I think there's there's guys that have, just show more a little more courage than Michael Sam to to receive an award like that. So I don't know. That's that's my opinion. Well, guys, it's been a great show tonight. We're gonna to come back win tonight, and we're gonna get Florida and Baylor, and maybe possibly another team. Um, excited for Wednesday night's show, but I want to thank Ray Green again for coming on to the show, joining us for an interview. Josh Shaw calling in, talking about the Huskers. Thanks, Cuervo and Trey. Um, we're going to be back live Wednesday night at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. So everybody out there, have a great week, and we'll see you Wednesday. All right, Tyvin, have a good one.